Welcome back, everybody, to the Stories from Southwest Virginia podcast. I'm joined today. We're actually going to be venturing up to Franklin County, Virginia, which is the moonshine capital. And we've got some great distilleries going to be joining us today. We have uh, Twin Creeks Distillery as well as Lost Choice. And uh, very excited to have them both joining us on the show today. Also is Mr. Uh, David from up in Franklin County. He's, he's kind of the one that got us all together today, and I appreciate that. And I guess we'll get started by letting everybody introduce themselves. And uh, yeah, we'll just take it away from there. So David, if you want to go first and talk about how we got this started. Well, good afternoon, Chad. Thank you so much for including Franklin County in, in this broadcast series. We, we really appreciate it. I'm David Rotenizer. I'm the tourism director with Franklin County. And as any tourism director knows, whenever you go work in a community, there's always something magical and unique about the community and go anywhere in the world, go anywhere around the United States and mention Franklin County. You know, we have, we're known for our moonshine. And so I'm very proud of this uh, legacy, this heritage that we have. And Franklin County has kind of dubbed April as, as official moonshine heritage month, uh, where we kind of promote moonshine heritage throughout the entire month of April. We had a big kickoff lined up last year and we were decimated literally by COVID-19. We had about 24 events and activities lined up and boom. So this year, I mean, even a, a month ago, I didn't know if we were gonna be able to do anything this month or not. So we're kind of doing a, a, a very soft rollout this year and kind of get things set up for more for next year. But in the meanwhile, we wanna let folks know that Franklin County is, is alive and well. And so thank you. Yeah, sounds great. I know I'm excited to come up. I'm going to try to make it up there in April and and do a little bit of exploring myself and exploring a couple of these uh, distilleries. And speaking of which, uh, I guess first uh, set we'll introduce you all here to today is uh, Twin Creeks Distillery. They're joining us on the call. And if you guys wouldn't mind, just take a moment and introduce yourselves. And I'm Chris Prillman. And uh, we right here in Rocky Mount got a tasting room here uh, right beside the harvester. And we've uh, got several different products and try to shed a little light on some of the history here in the county. And I guess that's about what I know to tell you. Anna, she can tell you something else. Maybe. Hi, guys. I'm Anna. I'm Chris's oldest daughter, and um, we're all family-oriented here. And if you're not blood-related, we, we take you in anyway. So we're one big family here, but um, just grateful to be in this business and grateful to like Dad says, shed a little light on on the deep rooted culture here in the county. Uh, it's a lot of stories and a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to be shared centered around the liquor world. Good stuff. So, been some bad, but it's some good too. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to dive into a lot of great stories today when we talk about all this. And then also joining us on the call today is uh, Mr. Henry Law from Law's Choice. And Henry, if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment to introduce yourself to everybody. I'm Henry Law, and of course I'm with I'm with Law's Choice Distillery. And uh, like Anna said, and Chris, we've got a lot of heritage here in Franklin County. We're proud of it. A lot of stories, a lot of good stories, a lot of a lot of dark side that goes with the moonshine business that people don't know about. And uh, I'm thankful to be part of all this. And uh, you know, it's proud. It makes us proud for our families to be involved in something like this. The heritage of Franklin County. You know, we never thought all these years that we would be involved in stuff like this. The way things have changed in the past few years is really exciting. It definitely is an exciting time for, for, you know, a lot of things in this realm, you know, from our breweries, our distilleries and everything in between. It's it's growing very greatly in popularity amongst people. You know, it's become uh, a center point of travel tourism destinations and, you know, from everything from finding trails to go out and explore different breweries and distilleries and wineries is, is a great thing. And, you know, it's something I myself have enjoyed to try to get out and do as much as I can and plan to do a lot more this year. And I guess talking about where we're at today, let's talk about some of the, the history behind it and, and kind of the origins of where Moonshine started. Whoever would like to start tackling that one first. Well, you know, of course, like, like the law family, we go back three generations and, uh, and I'm proud to be part of that. To be a, a third generation moonshine here in Franklin County, it's just amazing. As I look back, you know, with my father and my grandfather and all the years that they made look, and, and again, it goes back, you know, a lot of people look at moonshine like it's all, you know, all glorified. In a lot of cases it is, but there's a dark side to it. 
you know, with the, with the uh, excitement and, and the rush of making moonshine. And uh, to be able to be a part of that and all the years of, uh, of making moonshine and being on the run from the law and, uh, you know, trying to make a living for your family. And that's what it all came down to, the heritage, like lost choice. You know, we, we look at it three things of lost choice. That's heritage, heritage, and heritage. You know, that's the basic of our, uh, of our business. And uh, to be a part of that, all these generations, and to be able to all of a sudden come forward with uh, what we do, because we've been in the shadows for so many years, we weren't able to come forward. You know, the Prillmans, the Laws, and a lot of other families in this county, you know, we're proud of who we are. But for years and years and years, you know, we had to stay in the shadows of all of this. And, and really, to be able to step forward, I mean, a couple of years ago, Chris and I was invited to elementary school to talk to uh, middle schoolers. Who would have ever imagined such a thing? Not me, I'm sure not Chris, but you know, right now we're having a good time with all of it. And uh, we're bringing a good product to the, uh, to the business. You know, we've got generations of uh, recipes and that's what we work off of. You know, a lot of people are still trying to figure out how much grain to use, how much sugar to use, what kind of distilling equipment to use. We don't have to fight with that because we've been doing it for so long. It was handed down to us. You know, we've tweaked that over the years. And uh, we're so fortunate to have the history that we've got, our families, to bring such a product to the market that we bring to the market. Uh, nobody can touch us, as far as I'm concerned. Nobody can touch us. And we're proud of that. Go ahead, Chris. Dang, Henry, you done plumb good. <laughs> you write you write the line from a politician right there the way you laid all that out there. You know, Chris, when you're telling the truth, it rolls off. Come out with really you know, and it's the truth. Yeah, that's for sure. You talking about the heritage? You know, um, the the in the dark side and all of that. It is a whole lot of that. You know, half tos would put put a lot of this in here. It wasn't uh, wasn't so much out of want to as I do believe it was have to because a lot of these folks didn't have much opportunity, didn't have no education much, didn't have nowhere to go get no daggone job, want no job to be went and got. And they just took what was handed down to them and, and went, you know, roll with it. It was they turn the turn the fruit into brandies and the grain into liquor, you know, and that's a cash crop when they didn't have no other way of doing it. So and in the excitement of it, I think it draws a whole lot of folks too, you know, that's and that rush. You can't beat that rush. Yeah. But that's what dad talked about was uh, he could work at the sawmills for like a couple dollars a day or he could make liquor. You know, it don't give you much of a choice there. But a lot of people that got into it, you know, that they tried it and they worked it, but they couldn't stand the pressure. Like you said, the excitement. I call it excitement like you do. A lot of people call it pressure. You know, getting run by the law, getting shot at by the law. You know, not knowing if you're going to be home from one week to the next. It's going to be with your family. But again, and, and that's something that, that always amazed me was how did these moonshiners, our families, working in hollows, get caught for making liquor, go to jail and come back out and do the exact same thing again? <laughs> you know, it took some hell of a guy to do that. Yeah. Well, this, this had a drive on them, I guess. I, the, just like you said, the excitement of it. Excited. And like you said, the money, you know, you're trying to feed your family. You have no, you know, most of them had no education, no formal education, I should say. They were educated. You know, they were educated like hell in, in the art of making liquor. It's not yes. many throughout this country that can say what we can say. How can you go get the education that we got in the woods making liquor? Doing what we did, you can't, there's no amount of money that can possibly buy that education. And we're yeah. fortunate we got it. Fortunate, yeah. I, I feel, I'm like you, I feel mighty fortunate to get to work around some of the people I did because it is a dying breed of people. It really is. The, the old timers that, that were brought up in this after out of have to, and uh, they were independent people too. It, it, the, I mean, most of the folks I was around, they weren't looking for handouts and, and didn't expect anything out of the government. And, you know, if, and it wouldn't be a job to go get. They weren't going to go uh, sign up for nothing. They just going to do what 
what they did, you know, and that, and make them a little money. And that's what makes us proud of them too, you know. We're they, part of that. We're part of those generations that that embedded that into us. We're not looking for government hand, handouts, you know. We work for what we got. They work for what they got. And people look down on moonshiners for so many years, you know. Just everything. Hey, everything that used to be bad. It's done turn good and everything. It used to be good, it's done turn bad. That's what a buddy of mine told me. He's 80 some years old. I feel the same way, man, to look back and, and think about, you know, the way that people are treating us now. When, Because when I was growing up with dad going to jail and, and then me getting into the business, you know, people looked down on us. People talked about us. You know, I'll never forget one time I went to church with dad and he was getting ready to go to jail. And we walked by the elders of that church. And first thing came out of their mouth was, What's Amos Law doing here? You know, when I was a little boy, and I never forgot that. Now, people are calling people like us, wanting to talk to us, wanting to find out what we're all about, wanting to know a little bit about the history. And uh, that's great. That's a, that's a great change in things, and I'm glad to see it come around. And, and, you know, we're talking about our families and stuff, and it's so funny when I look back, when, and I tell people that, that I wasn't taught how to make moonshine. I was told how to make moonshine, you <laughs> Dad put me with these guys, and they said, okay, Henry, this is the way you do it. And who am I to argue with that? You know, they were the best. That's a great way to look at it, too. It, it is amazing how things have changed over time, and and I think that's something great we can talk about is, you know, how us as Southwest Virginians all throughout time, and even still to this day, we always find ways that we can work and make money and make business and and however that that's, seems fit. And I guess my, my question is, is, what makes Franklin County the, uh, the the capital of moonshine? Is, is there something special about the region or maybe the woodworking or ways to hide things that kind of kick-started back in those days that just made Franklin County this prime location to make moonshine? You mean so off of that, Chris? Uh-huh. My, my thought on all that was it's very simple. You look at our location in Virginia, right in Franklin County. You've got all the cities to the north, to the west, to the east, bam, centrally located. The mountain water coming out of these mountains, these Blue Ridge Mountains, it don't get any better than that. Then you got a location like in all these hollows. My God, you drive around Franklin County, and some of these hollows, if you want to run a car, I may not, may not find you for two or three years. It's a steep. So you take all that and compile it with our location close to these cities, New York, <coughs> Philadelphia, Chicago, that made an ideal location to distribute what we made. And of course, you gotta look back at these men, at these families, you know, they had the balls to do it. Not many people can say that. Franklin County men, women, had the balls to do it. I'm proud of that. Had a whole lot to do with him, Scott I settling in here too, you know, I reckon they it's just looked like where they landed at. And uh, and I, that's, that, it just been handed down from plumb on back to when they settled here. <clears throat> and. It's just grew right into it grew into big business as time went on, you know. Back years ago, they uh, some fellas that I know would tell me about, you know, the little outfits that they'd have would be little like three foot box steels, you know, which would be about a uh, you know about a hundred and fifty gallon steel, and they they would build them a steel and have like a you know four boxes or something like that, and that's what you'd write a small outfit. And as time went on. Everything just kept getting bigger and bigger. And a lot of them, when they went to pool time, they'd get caught and they'd send them off up in Pennsylvania and different places to pull the time. And they'd make connections with hustlers out of these cities and stuff. And 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 I, uh, Vernus Martin lived up here's branch uh, in Endicott. He told me that uh, he was pulling time with some guy. This was in the middle 60s, somewhere around 66 or 67 or somewhere along in there. He got caught and he said it was a fellow from Tennessee told him about uh, mashing in the steel and nobody around here had ever heard of nobody mashing in a steel. They'd build them a steel and you would scald your water in the steel and you transfer that water over into your boxes, you know. Well, there's a fellow, I swore, I believe he told me from Tennessee, told him, said, y'all just wasting your time doing all that extra work for nothing. Said, you need to just mash right in that steel instead of all them boxes, make a bigger steel. And which they had big steels back in them days. I mean, they'd have They'd have a two-box steel. A lot of times they'd build four-foot boxes, and they'd have a two-box steel, which would hold two four-foot boxes, which is a what you'd write a black pot. And they'd have like maybe two two-box steels and 
16 or 18 or 20 boxes in a great big place. But a lot of these little places would just be little three foot boxes. But anyway, Vernon said when he got back that they, uh, he got studying about that and decided he'd try to mash in that pot, you know. And so he did and he said work pretty good, but they had to learn a whole lot more about it as time went on. They'd beat the stuff up in a barrel. He said, and then they'd pour it over in the steel and, and then sugar it in the steel. But anyway, they got to where they'd build more steels and just done away with the boxes. And the steel served as the farm owners and the, and the, you know, and it's steel too. So instead of lining up a bunch of boxes, they just line up more steels. And that's kind of how the, the, the demand kept getting bigger and bigger with all these connections they was making to these people around in different parts of the country. You know, pulling time is where a lot of them connections come in. And uh, they, they got to building bigger and more steels and done away with the boxes. And that changed the product too. It ain't, ain't I ain't got a thing in this world against pot liquor, but used to, they'd start off with a, a you know, when they was making box liquor, they'd start off with a, a pure grain-based mash with absolutely no sugar and make pure corn whiskey. And you can't hardly mash pure corn in a pot. You about got to do that in a box. And they'd mash that and wouldn't put absolutely no sugar. And then after they distilled that pure grain, they would sugar it back with sugar, you know, and that would be their sugar liquor. And so uh, when they started doing the pots, they done away with a lot of that pure grain mash and just started making sugar liquor just right over in the pot, you know, which is a little easier to mash in and stuff. And 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 you make a whole lot more yield. So all of that that little crafty corn whiskey with very little yield, it kind of went to the wayside and it got into more of a, a bigger lumping it out kind of thing, you know, kind of like McDonald's with their hamburgers. You know, you might get one at a, at a little hamburger shop somewhere. It's going to be a whole lot thicker and a whole lot more uh, effort goes into it, but while they selling three, McDonald's is selling 53, you know, so they just all about getting it out the door, I reckon. But, yeah, but I still think, I still think the quality of the liquor in Franklin County has, has, has really maintained its quality. You know, I, I, I see what you're saying in, in a lot of ways, but the quality of the liquor in Franklin County has always been top notch. You know, like us, we sold millions of gallons of it up and down the East Coast. And uh, sell that much liquor, you've got to have a high quality product. And uh, I think Franklin County is really famous for the quality of their liquor. No matter how we did it, there's certain ways you can do pot liquor, like you're talking about. You can cut back on that sugar, you can add more grain. You know, you got some people that, that would maybe go more sugar liquor, as you call it. But as far as my family and all, we like to use more grain, less sugar and keep quality of that liquor, a high quality. And I think most people in Franklin County did that. You know, Franklin's always been named for its quality liquor. And I think we always will be high quality liquor. Anything we put out, we take pride in it. You know that. You know, we always take pride in what we do. And uh, if I put something out, I know if you put something out, it's gonna be the best. If not, we're not gonna put our name on it, right? Yeah, you're exactly right about that. You gotta, yeah, hold you, hold you, like you said, the quality. If you want to move it, it better be good. That's for sure. Yeah, well, if we put out something, it's going to be good. <laughs> That's just where it is. It's going to be good. If not, we're going to have to put it out. That water around here makes makes a big difference. I know a fella used to haul a lot of liquor years ago, and they would buy liquor out of uh, Georgia and North Carolina. And, and when it, you know, around here, the law was, you know, it, cutting people up left and right and it's hard for them to keep the trades up because it couldn't there's still places getting cut up and they're buying liquor everywhere they could find it you know and they said that, that swamp water they called it swamp water you know they said that swamp water down on georgia said that's some of the roughest stuff that they'd ever got a hope of in their life i mean it was rough said about lost the trade you know over dealing with that stuff you know buying liquor away from here to to carry it to their customers but it's in the stories to go with all that it's, it's i've always been just fascinated from the time i was a little boy with the all of those folks, what all they done to get by and creativity of the steel places and how they hit them and, and, and the trucks and cars and things that they'd build up to haul it. It just, it's always fascinated me from a very early age. It's amazing. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing uh, thing, man, that uh, when you, like you're talking about that swamp liquor, I agree with that 200%. If we bought a lot of liquor out of North Carolina, down in North Wilkesboro and all, but the thing about Franklin County, was when we get up, cut up a lot, like you were talking about, a lot of, lose a lot of steel places. We get cut up 
we'd go to those boys up in Farm and we'd buy off of them. And they were supplies enough to take care of our customers. And then we did the same thing for them. If they would lose steel places, then they would buy from us. I know we had a place up there in uh, Farm, worked up over two years, me and Kennedy, and uh, we never bought the liquor out of Farm. As soon as we came out of steel place with it, we sold it to the local distillers, local moonshiners up there in Farm. And that saved us from running up and down the road, but we took care of each other. You know that, you know, if one ran short, we supplied. If we ran short, they supplied us just to take care of our customers. And uh, that means a lot, the way the moonshiners pull together here in the county. They always have, and uh, they always will. This is something. Yeah, this oh. is some great storytelling here. And it makes me think of, you know, I wonder what your your previous generations would think if, you know, they were here in this day and age and seeing how things have changed and how, you know, now you can legally go out and, and make your liquor versus back in the day of what they would think of how the changes have been. Well, I'll tell you right quick that when I wrote that book, 100 Proof, a lot of people uh, came to me and daddy and said, what the hell are y'all doing? <laughs> you know, you've been quiet all these years about what you've done. And now all of a sudden you're putting it in a book and putting it out there. Well, you know, I want to get the story out, the true story of moonshiners. People's always looked down on moonshiners. They've always tried to make us depict us to be stupid, you know, uneducated. Uh, you know, it is far from that. These people are geniuses, like Chris said. Just putting a, putting a plan together. You know, you take a pile of lumber and a pile of metal and stack it up out, there, out here on the ground. And you look at somebody and say, okay, take that and build the steel, build the thumbs, build the worms, take this pile of grain over here, mash it in, and produce liquor. How many people can do that? You know, everything we do in this county, we build it. Anything we need, we build it. When I started my business, I was sending in the applications for my distillery, and the government kept sending uh, questions back. What are the serial numbers? I would send a, a response to it back. There is no serial numbers. I built it. They couldn't fathom it. You know, we went back and forth like this several times. What's the serial numbers? There is none. I built it. Do you want me to put serial numbers on it? That was so funny. I don't think to this day they even realized what we were actually doing here in this county. We don't have to buy anything. We build it. I like that. I like that a lot. And and I guess thinking about like futuristic uh, generations, uh, Anna, uh, you run the business there. Is that correct? It's definitely a team effort, um, but we're a small team between our family, <clears throat> my mom, my sister, my cousins, um, Joni Bowman, who runs a tasting room, um, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting how it's trickled on down, and and I have much appreciation for the lifestyle that came with the liquor itself, and it's just an honor to be able to sit here and and share it with everybody. So, um, I I just can't tell you how grateful I am to be in this business um, for so many reasons. But yeah, we're a small crew, but yeah, we all we make it work. <laughs> That's great. I, I always love hearing the stories of, of these family businesses and, and just how, you know, families can come together and, and make these things happen. And that's absolutely wonderful. And I, I think, you know, a lot of times, especially when we're talking about alcohol, whether it's beer or liquor, wine, whatever it is, oftentimes there, there typically is some stigmas against uh, the breweries and stuff. But the more I'm in them, I'm realizing these are most of them are all family owned. They're, they're family environments. And like, I see you got a beautiful little dog there. And so a lot of them seem to be pet friendly too. And, you know, I think more people are starting to realize is that, you know, alcohol isn't this bad thing. It's, it's a great thing. It's, it, it brings people together. It's, it's a great social environment and it, it's a great business. And there's so many wonderful things. I think y'all are uh, showing that today in, in today's episode. Yeah. Well, a gang of drunkards is one something or other. I don't want to be around. And it look it's just like beans, you know, you get too much of them, it's going to be pretty hard on you. And, uh, and so that's kind of like here at the tasting room, you can't have it three ounces. And that's, you know, that's ain't much more than a child's portion, but that'll loosen up. We can have some awful good conversations in here drinking three ounces, you know, and, and get it all kind of company. And it's a good time thing. And like you said, it is family friendly because I mean, it, I mean, if a preacher wants to come in here and, and drink him a glass of water and, 
and look at what we got and, and what we have to say suits me just fine and, and, and kids and everything. I wouldn't dare want to have somewhere, a place of business where it wasn't suitable for, for a family to come in and uh, get them a cup of coffee or a glass of water or, or whatever. You know, I, I just the, the bar scene ain't for me and it's not, that ain't what I'm wanting to, to uh, do here. You know, it's more the, the, the liquor that business, when I got into it, it was more about we put a product with a lifestyle and a culture is, is kind of what my deal was. And it's, and it's like in music. I love old time music. And that kind of one way I've told people is what is what got me around where the liquor's at because my daddy and granddaddy, both of them were bankers, but my, both of my great grandpas were big time in the liquor business. They was, uh, you know, back in it, it, it that moonshine conspiracy thing in 35, it happened here in the County that, you know, a bunch of bootleggers had the law bought off and they, they charged the Commonwealth attorney and they, they indicted 35 people. And both of my great grandfathers got uh, in trouble on that. And one of them is one of the very few pulled in the time. I forget what he pulled. It seemed like it might have been 18 months or something like that. But there's a bunch of them was a snitching and telling this and telling that. But uh, he was kind of a, what you might say, a kingpin up on the ferryman of the county. And uh, I guess they might have been paying the law off. I don't know. I guess they're doing whatever they need to do to get by to keep bringing the, bringing the money in. But um, he was an old-time fiddler, and he, he played old-time music and loved it. And I do, too. I guess that's something that's kind of bred in you, kind of like you, the look of stuff, you know. It's all about where you're at. If you was born to a gang of dairy farmers, I've said this a pile of times, you'd probably be milking a cow somewhere. But, you know, if you you know when you when you brought up around that music and – and it looking and just, you know, you're going to be what you come from. That's just about what it boils down to. And uh, so I started following that music. My daddy died when I was 14. And uh, he was just 43. That's how old I am right now. But from a very early age, I mean, I'm talking about plumb back as far as I can remember. And my daddy, he played music. And we'd go around to gatherings and stuff. And it was a lot of the mountain folks. You know, it was round up in the Endicott section. They would get together on Friday and Saturday nights, and we'd play music. And I mean, they would, you know, and I just a kid running around there. And the ones that could dance would dance, and the ones that loved to cook would cook, and the ones that loved to play would play. And, you know, and it just uh, a great big good time. And and I was brought up around that. And after daddy died, I got to going uh, up there with Jimmy Boyd. And uh, he's, he's been a convicted moonshiner from years ago. And and been called a whole lot and made a whole lot of look in his life. And I got to go on up there with him, but he was a founder member of the Dry Hill Draggers, which is an old time dance band that uh, I loved from the time I was old enough to know what it was. And so I started going up there with him and he taught me a lot about playing music and a lot of other things too. And uh, that kind of opened the door for me up in there to where it was, uh, I caught the tail end of a dying breed of people. In other words, it was a bunch of folks up in that mountain up there that still depended upon the whiskey business for their livelihood. And, you know, it, it was a hush-hush thing, but you don't take long when you around, you figure out kind of what's going on this way and that. And, and that's what, you know, kind of opened the door for me to, to get involved, you know, in, in learning a lot about these people in that business. And so, uh, you know, I, I went on to learn to play a little music and, and wound up being a member of the Dry Hill Draggers, and I played with them for, from the time I was about 15 years old, I started playing with them then. And we played from up till I was probably 37 or something, 38. And uh, played with them a lot of years. We played dances and things around, but <clears throat> that's kind of how I got into the that group of people. And uh, so that, that's when we done this distillery thing what really got me thinking about it was I was at the college. It was 2007 is when it was and, and, it, and the Blue Ridge Institute there at Ferrum College. They, Roddy Moore would always ask us to come down and set up a little demonstration still, in which it's just a little old toy of a thing. I mean, it, we was almost ashamed to set it up. It was uh, crude and, and stuff, you know, but I mean, it's not saying nothing against that. It was just old and dilapidated and but they had this stuff that, that they'd collected over years and years from us and the night and the other and the Institute did. And they would ask us to come down and set up a little demonstration steel and fire it and run water through it and play music down there around it. So in 2007, we went there and I think that was the first year we'd done it for Roddy. And the people and the interest that they had in that little old thing 
it just blew me away. I couldn't believe we stood there all day long talking to all these people from all over the daggone country that come to this Folklife Festival. They have everything at the Blue Ridge Folklife Festival, but they was down there. They was enjoying the music, and they was enjoying looking and asking questions about that little old steel. And, and I told the boy I play with, I said, you know anybody I'll really – check into this and put a product with this because it wasn't nothing to us. I mean, we done been around. It was just a, you know, it didn't mount to nothing for us, but it just blew people away at, at how that was and how it was done there, you know? And so I told him, I said, anybody, I'll really check into this and see about getting a license, you know, and put a product, show these people what this look is about around here. And so, Oh, I was scared to apply for it because I, th I, I really and truly, I can say this now, but it took me a long time to say this. I was scared to apply for it because I figured back in the law was, you know, it was a lot of agents in the county and they were still raiding people occasionally, you know, and I didn't want to call over and ask for application and them think, well, what's this boy got on his mind, you know, and then all at once come and, and come on in on me or something and me have a half a gallon of liquor or something, a cap or something in a building or something at the house, you know, and then come in on me. So I got another guy to get the application and golly, that thing you talking about a stack of papers, it was, it was a big stack of papers. And I looked at it and didn't think that much more about it. I said, good day, that's too much. It'd take a daggone lawyer to figure all that out, you know, and I just kind of slid it by the wayside, and we done it. The next year, we done it down to college, and as time went on, I just kept thinking all the while, you know, this would be, it'd be good to shed a little light on this right here because we got the music and it looking and all that. So when, uh, I guess it was 2012, me and my family, we went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, on vacation. And it was said Moonshine Distillery. It was a building there. I had a sign on it said Moonshine Distillery. And I told them, I said, Daggone, I want to pull it on see it. So we pulled in there, you know, and we got in there and got out. It was Palmetto Moonshine. And not taking enough, nothing away at all from what they're doing because uh, they had a good thing going on for sure. But when I went in there, they were showing a little steel that they started off with, which was just a little, little copper pot. And hell fire, I'd seen caps bigger than that thing. You know, a little old, just a little old thing wasn't much bigger than a coffee pot, you know. And I thought, golly, they started off with that and got all this going on. It was people coming in there. They was buying hats and shirts and looking. And I tasted some of the, I got in line for the taste, you know, and tasted some of that. And I thought, whoo, it wasn't nothing like what we had around here, but no means. And, uh, and, the, and the boy giving the tour, he was a, he looked like he ought to have been in a motorcycle gang or something. He had a big old long ponytail and earrings wrapped all the way around both ears and tattoos, you know, and he was a moonshiner down there. And I thought, golly, what a sight different than what we do. You know, I mean, the moonshiners are not part of the country, but after we got in line there to uh, get the little tour and he was going to tell us about the little old copper pot they had, it was people there from Northern Virginia, people there from Pennsylvania, all over the place, you know, in that line. And they was asking where everybody was from. And we was at the back of the line. And when it got to us, we said, Franklin County, Virginia. And I swear, it was two or three different ones. said, well, golly, y'all ought to be giving the tour instead of taking it. And I said right then, here we got two beautiful lakes and Ferrum College. I mean, it's a lot of stuff here. But you can mention Franklin County away from here. And all anybody going to study about you look. So I said right then, when I started up the road, coming home from vacation, I told my family, I said, I'm going to get me a daggone license and start making this looking. If he can get by a fat down there, I ring shoulder to God, we can put something up up there and show him something. So that's what we set out to do. And, and when we started designing the labels and stuff, we wanted to, you know, it's just been a, it's been a challenge. It really has. But anyway, I didn't know a thing in this world about anything to do with the marketing or the designing or any of that, but I know about getting some liquor. So I had that in covered. But through talking to different people and learning this and learning that and telling my story and about the lifestyle, we come up with the label that we have, which has got a fiddle on the logo because it's, it's a deep rooted thing. And, it, and it's, and that's part of like my family, my great grandpa, you know, the history goes on back and the old time music and it, and it look and all that just ties hand in hand. And the dances and things like that's just hand in hand and, and what the way I was brought up and the way I do. So that's the reason that I 
you know, decided to do the little fiddle on the logo. And, uh, and we got a little writing on the history. How is it? The history. Franklin County. Yeah, Franklin County bottle. history in a bottle, you know, and, and that's, yeah. that's kind of true. And so that's what we try to emphasize on here is, yeah. is about the, the way of life and the culture. And we got a product to go along with that. It ain't just so much about liquor. It's, it's a lot about a lifestyle and a culture and half twos is kind of what we, you know, the, the, the way we try to market ourselves yeah. because that's what it is. I mean, you know, where we come from. So I'll add one more thing. Um, the fiddle, so that grandpa Peg, who was one of the grandfathers tied up in that conspiracy trial in the 30s. Um, Keister Greer wrote the book, The Great Conspiracy Trial in 1935. It's a great read if, if you could ever get a hold of the book. Um, but he played old time music, Grandpa Peg. And after he got done pulling time out of the conspiracy trial, the Library of Congress visited the hills of Southwest Virginia and the hills of Ferrum, recording these old mountain folks playing music. And they actually came around and re recorded Grandpap playing the same fiddle that Dad has today, um, straight out of pulling that time. So he's recorded in the digital archives of the Library of Congress playing that fiddle. He passed it to my great-grandma, who's still living today, and she passed it to Dad. So Dad's playing the same fiddle and bootlegging, I guess, the same spirits as, as that Grandpap did in, in the 30s. So when we say deep-rooted, that's kind of the backstory on the fiddle. The, that fiddle has so much more meaning than just, just a fiddle. So that's kind of a little bit of our, our backstory as far as family goes. That's great. I, I loved hearing that. And then, and, and rerouting back when we was talking about that, uh, the stigma, I think, I think he said it really well when he's like, you know, we're, we're not a bar scene and, and there's a big difference there. You know, the breweries, distilleries, wineries, they're, they're not a bar like it's and like that story just told there about the history and the, and the family. That's, that's exactly what we are here in Southwest Virginia. And, and I, I love that greatly. And, and Henry, I, I, let's see. And, and I guess let's talk about some of your history and, and how the business is kind of set up if you've got a little bit to kind of match what we just had there you know, i was born into it you know a whole lot different than chris you know my dad my grandfather was all in the business and uh you know from a child being raised with a father that was that was branded a kingpin of franklin county you know to watch him in and out of prison all my childhood and that's all I saw. That's all I saw all my life was, uh, you know, was times that I was visiting my father in prison. Times that uh, that uh, I would see him come home and uh, straight from prison, broke, no money. And he'd go straight back to the hollow, you know, and try to make a living for the family. He'd work at ROW up there at the window factory during the day and make a living at night. And uh, I remember one time, I was at my grandfather's house and, and everybody was running at the door, you know, anticipating something pulling up in the driveway. And I didn't know what was going on. I was just a little boy. And all of a sudden I saw his car pull up and my dad got out and my grandfather ran out the door with a coat. And I kept looking. My father, he looked, he looked strange, you know, and he was soaking wet from head to toe. And this was the middle of February. And my grandfather ran out and put a coat around him. And my dad came in, and then years later, I found out, you know, dad was at a steel place. The law raided it. He didn't have a one way out, and that was to that was to swim the river. He jumped in the river, middle of February, and swam across that river to get away from the law, keep from going to jail. You know, that's tough times. Anyway, you add it up to take a chance like that with your life to get away from the law, to keep from going back to prison. But he was in and out of prison so much my childhood that you know he never took us hunting he never took us fishing you know i was up to my uncles my uncle wilbert lynch my uncle willie smith did that with me as a boy you know he never came to ball games he was strictly to make that money you know to raise a family he had no education he couldn't read and write but he built he built an organization that was one of the biggest ones in this country and just imagine a man that uh, that would um, supply that had as many as 20, 30, 40 steels going at one time. He had as many as 10 to 15 men working for him at, at, at a time. He had uh, one time they raided the house in a conspiracy. 
He was in like three or four different conspiracies. A lot of people think there's only one conspiracy in this county back in the 30s, but that's far from the truth. There's been many conspiracies in Franklin County since back in the 30s, many conspiracies. And Dad was pulled up in a lot of them. But uh, one time he was pulled up and he took, it was 10 vehicles off him. 10 vehicles now. There's cars, trucks, you know, Jeeps. He had to have, he had to be able to get all the supplies that we needed as we ran. He kept us in the woods working. When we came out of the woods, he would have the sugar that we needed. Of course, he had to have all the vehicles in and out of the woods. We had Jeeps, we had cattle trucks. Now we would take our liquor to storage buildings. And from there, dad would have drivers. He would take these cars, they were jacked up real high in the back end. When you put a load of liquor on it, those things would level out so you would never know that they were loaded with liquor. Now he had to distribute all this liquor up north, different cities, uh, Danville, Richmond, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, you name it. You know, he had this distribution ring take these liquors to. So he was moving thousands and thousands of gallons of liquor a month. This man built up starting from, me, from his 60s that uh, he worked his way up in and out of prison, but never gave up. Just kept hammering away until he built his huge, huge uh, moonshine business. And uh, everything that I've read about him in indictments, affidavits, you know, they always, you know, they always referred to him as the kingpin. And he was, there's no doubt about it. I remember, you know, before daylight, there would be, always be three or four men around dad's house there. And I didn't really know at the time a whole lot about what they were doing because he tried to keep us away from a lot of that. But uh, these guys that worked for dad and uh, they were dedicated, you know, they, they, they took care of dad. And of course, dad took care of them. He had a lot of Vietnam guys working for him back in the day. You know, a lot of those guys coming from Vietnam, you know, served and, and to keep us free, this country free. And uh, they came home and people wouldn't give them jobs and stuff. Dad gave them jobs. They were very loyal to dad. I mean, a lot of them would kill for dad. You better believe it, it gives me chills now to sit and talk about it. But the heritage of Franklin County and uh, me being raised in that, and I often look back and wonder why in the world would all of us continue to do the same thing, knowing what the consequences would be knowing that we would be leaving our children. You know, dad, a lot of times he would leave and he have tears in his eyes and his three, us three kids, you know, we would be crying, you know, dad's leaving again. And mom would be left to take care of us while he was gone. And for me to want to do the same thing that he did, it, it just amazes me. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to leave my child? Why would I want to leave my children? But I don't know, it gets in your veins. It, it's something that, that you raised around, and, and once you get a taste of it and the excitement of it, you know, you get run by the law and a man jumps on your back and tries to bulldog into the ground. Let me tell you, that's, that, that's a rush. And then to do it again and again and again and uh, continue to do it, it becomes something that you're proud of. Even though a lot of people look down on us, you know, it was something that we were proud of. To be, for me to be a part of that group you know, that, that, that group of moonshiners that, that everybody else was talking about. Not everybody, but the majority of the people were, were talking about, talking bad about, you know, running them down. And I didn't see them that way. You know, I looked up to my dad and I looked up to all these guys that I got to meet. Dad put me with, with the best moonshiners in, in the country. You know, the guys that were the best at peach branded, the guys that were the best at, at apple branded, the best at corn liquor. The wheat liquor that I make now at Hell's Hollow, they were the best of the best. And he put me with these guys. And each one of them, he, you know, he kept me as a higher hand for a year, where everybody else would get a third. He kept me as a higher hand for over a year. And at the time, I didn't realize what he was doing. You know, I was really upset because I wanted a percentage. And when I look back, you know, I know exactly what he was doing. He put me with the best that there was out there to teach me every aspect of it. You know, I used wood, I used raw gas, I used propane, I used coke, you know, anything that could possibly be done to make liquor, he put me with these people to teach me that trade. So now when it comes down to whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to do, I can do it. Thanks to him, thanks to his insight to put me where I needed to be. 
And a lot of people, you know, they, I've had people make comments, well, you know, you're Amos's son, blah, blah, blah. But, but it was no different for me as far as getting away than it was the next guy. They would find a steel site. And he would say, okay, Henry, check it out. I'd go check it out. It was up to me to make the decision. Did I want to work the steel site? So when I go in that steel site, it doesn't matter who you are. Your chances of getting caught is the same as the next man. He can't do anything when it comes to that. You know, you go in there, you take a gamble. Like he said, you go in, you're going to come out with diamonds on your fingers, most likely shackles on your feet. If you stay in it long enough, you will have those shackles on your feet. But, you know, I loved it. I loved that rush. I loved the excitement. And when it came to a point where, when it came out with lightning strike, you know, they ruined the business. They ruined it because simple fact, they were taking people's property that had nothing to do with the actual moonshine. If you just pulled a load of liquor on a man's property, the feds could come in and take that property. That took the whole, that took the business completely apart. It tore it completely apart. People don't mind going to jail and pulling time for making a living. But when you start taking people's property that's been in the families for generations, some of that property, it may not have been made from, from liquor money. You know, it could have been tobacco money. But if you pull a, a, a load of liquor on that property, the feds could take that property. That was in the beginning of the end of the moonshine business. And right to the end, Dad had pulled time down in Butler, North Carolina, him and Peanut, and another conspiracy. And uh, he got out in 99. No sooner than he got out, lightning strike was going on. What did they do? They pulled him to grand jury over at Park Building in Rondo. I went over there with him. It was like he was in a third world country where these feds were treating these locals, our locals. Family, trying to turn family against family. It, it was heartbreaking. But they came out, they took daddy down the hallway. I'll never forget and threatened him. I saw dad was getting a little upset and I went down the hallway. And they told him, they said, you either cooperate we send you straight back to jail. You know, you just got out, Amos. Do you want to go straight back to jail again? And Dad was shaking. You know, I can tell he was he was he was shaking. And uh, he goes in front of the grand jury, and you know, he's got nothing to say to him. They want to know about all these other moonshiners. Dad's got nothing to say to him. I don't give a damn how much time he pulled or any of these other true moonshiners in this county. They're not gonna talk. They keep their mouths shut. That's the way it's always been. And. Uh, the true moonshiners. You got to want to be moonshiners, you know, of course. They'll tell anything. You got to slap them and shut them up. So Dad got out of Butler, North Carolina in 99. It was called the grand jury in, um, in Roanoke. Yeah, they ended up charging with two counts of perjury. And uh, he went to trial. And uh, he beat the case. A lot of people told me, he said, well, Amos beat him, didn't he? Well, you know, he paid $25,000 in attorney fees. You don't get that back. So he didn't beat anybody. But... With that said and done, all those years, I was born and raised in the business. And I wanted to stay in the business. But we couldn't take chances with losing our properties. So when the opportunity came around to take a shot at doing something legal, you know, I wanted to make a run at it. I didn't want to look back and say, what if, you know, what if you'd done this? What if you'd done that? I wanted to make a run at it. No idea why they would ever gave me my license just because of who I am. But I, they did. I got my license. Called a couple of friends sitting around trying to come up with a name, a buddy of mine, just off the top of his head. He said, what about Law's Choice? I said, that sounds good. Let's go with Law's Choice. And then I decided to do everything exactly the way we've done it in the woods, the exact same way. You know, we uh, double distill our liquor. We triple filter it. Um, we use local grains from the farmers. We don't use any kind of... Uh, uh, additives, preservatives, everything we do is exactly like we did in the woods. And, and that really ticks me off a lot of times when people say, I want what y'all used to make. Well, you know what? It is what we used to make, the exact same thing. The state of Virginia and the government puts no regulations as far as that goes. You know, we use the same grain bill, same mash bill. We distill it the same way, but we can't convince people of that. They think there's a difference. It isn't. There is no difference. Exact same way, crystal tape, the same thing. The exact same way that we did in the woods, and we're proud of that, and we're going to maintain that. We're going to stay the same way we've always done it. And, uh, you know, that's what we're going to do. Lay it on them, Henry. I'm backing you up.
Same thing, Dad Bum. It is. It ain't no doubt about it. Yeah. I've had a bunch of them tell me, I, I want the real thing. Well, hell, if they stay with it long enough, they'll find out it's a real thing. <laughs> we can give them more than three ounces. It wouldn't take them long to figure out it's a real thing. You got that right. Yeah. Damn. Well, y'all, I, I know for me, I, I could sit here and listen to you tell these stories all day, but if there's one thing I've learned, David's taught me well, it's uh, uh, to leave everybody wanting some more. And I definitely guarantee anybody out there listening would want some more and would like to find out where they could get y'all's uh, drinks from. I, I know uh, uh, Twin Creeks, you guys have a location, a, a tap room where people can actually come in and, and taste there. But is there some locations where they can go out and expect to buy uh, either laws or uh, twin creeks out in like stores or how can we go about ordering some of that abc stores in the state of virginia of course they don't put us in but a few you've know, got 400 stores in the state of virginia and they limit us limit us to just a few which i'm not even gonna go there but you know abc stores they get on the website uh, uh, the uh, virginia abc website and they can order it and they'll deliver it to any abc store in their area in the state of virginia that is and uh, they'll deliver it right to that ABC store. So that's the best way. If the ABC, if the ABC store doesn't have it, get online and uh, you can order it and have it delivered to the nearest ABC store to you. Now we're shipping direct to consumer in the state of Virginia, which is a COVID privilege. Um, and another thing about COVID is we kind of swapped gears and started making sanitizer throughout the pandemic, which was a huge um, risk. Uh, gamble we weren't right real sure if we want to jump into it but looking back i'm really glad that we did um but yeah back to where you can get it we've got a storefront uh, beside the harvester performance center we're in downtown rocky mount and um you can visit our website twincreeksdistillery.com and have it shipped directly to your doorstep if you're a virginian um if we're not in your state then still feel free to reach out and we'll work towards it perhaps um but the distribution thing is is a very broad subject, but we hope to to get out there in the future. So uh, for everybody out there listening today, definitely go give some support to your local distilleries here in Franklin County. And especially during the month of April, you know, that's been claimed moonshine month and uh, definitely get out there and show some support. I'm going to be traveling up there the month of April myself, which, you know, I talk like April's a while away but two more days is april the first so so that month's already steadily approaching us so be sure to feel get out there and get a feel for these places and experience this amazing place of franklin county you know full of a lot of heritage and lore and a great history so if you're a fan of of, of liquor uh beautiful scenery a lot of great history franklin county is definitely a destination you want to get to and i guess uh david i haven't got to speak with you there for a while if you got any closing thoughts you know franklin county probably well, just better real than anybody. quick with uh with franklin uh, county moonshine heritage month go to facebook starting april 1st every day during the month of april on facebook uh moonshine heritage uh right anna 2020 yep franklin county moonshine heritage i think is the page name Moonshine Heritage 2020. Yeah, it's a Facebook page. We'll have information on there. And Henry, where can, where can someone purchase your book uh, if they wanted to buy it? At the um, Farm College Institute up there, you can purchase my book. Uh, of course, you can call me in my office at 540-489-3642, and we'd be glad to ship one out to you. And uh, I got a couple of meet and greets, a couple of book signings. Uh, coming up, I'll, I'll be posting that online pretty quick that you can meet me and uh, come out for book signing and uh, pick up a, a book straight from me. So a few places like that. And, and Chad, you can see why I'm so proud of these folks. These, these are treasures in Franklin County. Thank you guys for being here. It would be a great product to work with. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank y'all so much for your wonderful stories today. And for everybody out there listening, I'm going to include links to everything that they're talking about here. So that way, if you didn't quite catch it in the episode, it'll, it'll be in the show notes. So that way you can go give some support. But thank y'all for joining us today on, on the podcast. I've been happy to sit here and listen with you. And hopefully I'll be able to meet y'all here soon in about the next month or so.